This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Today on Shareable, Jeffrey Klein, the story guy, is a TEDx speaker, adjunct professor, podcaster, and a visual content producer. Jeffrey's mission is to tell and share awesome stories and help others tell and share awesome stories. He's a dual citizen, super happily married, dad to twin teenage girls, and a preteen boy. He's a Pez candy dispenser collector. Yeah, it's true. And he's also a very good friend of mine, Jeff. Welcome to Shareable. It's uh, great to finally have you on the show after all of these years. It is great to finally be on the show. It's It's been a dream of mine. So to have <laughs> it fulfilled is is pretty special. Right on. Well, uh, one day, one day, I hope that one of the uh, seasons of Connect the Dots will uh, will feature something having to do with superheroes and I'll get to make my way onto your show. Uh, there for uh, oh, There's so much for us to discuss. Let's start with just your podcast. So just as a, a shameless plug for your show, uh, Connect the Dots, tell people a little bit about what that is, because I think it's a really cool concept what you've got here. Well, I decided I want to do a podcast because I love stories and I wanted to you know, be able to share other stories. And I was like, oh, I could just tell some stories. But I realized like, why is someone going to listen to me? This was my kind of imposter syndrome moment. And so I decided, well, I have a solution to that, which is I'll find other successful people and I'll interview them and talk about their amazing journeys and how they connected the dots. And so that's what I've done. I've been incredibly lucky. Uh, season five is out now, or will be out by the time this airs. Um, and I, it, it's been a season of, uh, when I look at who I've actually gotten to speak to, uh, it's been pretty cool from Pulitzer Prize winners and um, two-time world beatbox champion, that's one of my favorites, uh, to a World Series you know, poker champ um it's been fun and, and again i think it, for me it's all about being able to ask people questions about their life and and kind of travel through their story in the hopes that it will inspire uh entertain and maybe someone will learn something all right well i'm going to give away another little thing about your show that um you didn't give away okay. in that part because it could sound like you have an interview show where you talk to people who are interesting which on its face not all that unique from like the world of interviews. And I think this is where you undersold it because I think the real interesting part of your show from my vantage point is that each season has a, a set of dots to be connected uh, where there is actually a through line to each season. So just as an example, if you're willing to share it, let's take this past season. What was the through line to season four? Yeah, I, I look at it as like a theme to the season. I do nine episodes and I want to try and have something to kind of connect those dots. And so season four was probably, you know, the most personal, the most special. It was my dots. So it was my parents, my in-laws, my two brothers. Actually, no, not my brothers. I was worried about my brothers. Um, my aunt and four of my closest friends. And they all had pretty interesting lives. And for me, it was an opportunity to, to have these conversations. I actually learned, you know, about my maternal grandfather. I didn't know he played the trumpet. Like little things I learned about people that I know a lot. Um, 
and it was yeah it was it was amazing to to be able to share stories of people that really represent my life um and so it was a personal personal uh season and uh, pretty cool so do you um do you make it known what the theme of the season is or do you want people to try and piece that together um it, it's interesting so i i try to think so the the theme before was all women successful you know women so there was that was very intentional and so because i felt like the the first couple seasons didn't have that many women and i wanted to feature more women um and so i sometimes yes sometimes no so i haven't it hasn't been super intentional to be like okay this next season is the season of the nonprofit, you know executives or whatever um but it's it's something that i think you'll learn pretty quickly in this next season because it's um because the next, this current season five is going to be all about what I'm calling it's the season of champions uh, or winners. And so uh, whether it's it's uh, a world backgammon champion or a master chef champion, uh, the appeal of it, I guess, if they have the word champion in their name, that's someone that I want to have on the show um, because I think it's pretty cool to just to learn about these people who who really reached the pinnacle of success or have they? And that's kind of part of what I'm kind of, you know, uncover or try to explore. A, when we look at people who are, you know, a champion in something, we go, oh my God, I could never, or how could I? So you learn about like the origins of how they started to where they became. And that's kind of always been a through line of connect the dots. What are the dots along the way to success? Um, but also just to recognize, you know, everyone's on their own journey and success can be defined in lots of different ways. I love that. And um, for those that, that uh, haven't made their way to the show notes yet or, or are not listening through a second time yet but don't know, but uh, uh, Jeffrey is the, uh, the owner, founder, CEO of Nine Dots, which is the name of his consultancy group. So there's a, there's a theme here with connecting the dots, the nine dots, um, you know, nine episodes, connecting the, the whole thing. So um, I, I've always really appreciated about your podcast that you are so deliberate about having themes and about having seasons. Because I, I talk to a lot of people about starting a podcast. Um, you know, people will come to me and they're like, hey, you know, you've been podcasting for a while, like any advice, this and that. And they're like, oh, I think I'm going to do it in seasons. I'm going to do this and that. And I'm like, well, if you're going to do seasons, like you have to make sure that you have some sort of a reason to do a season. Um, like there, there has to be a reason for that format, I think. Um, I tried to do it back in the day, but there was really no, it was just my excuse to take a month off. Uh, so I could go from one season to the next. But, you know, I just found that going on going and if I needed to take a week off, I just do it kind of worked out better for me in, in, in the scheme of things. So, yeah. So anywho, uh, love your podcast. I think it's great. Anybody listening, oh, you should go listen you. to it. So um, uh, I I should, wanna... can I just, can I interrupt with one, one, one note, which is uh, to say thank you to Jeff, to you, because uh, you've been very supportive in helping me put the podcast together from the early days and kind of like, what do I do? How do I? And, uh, and I know you've helped lots of people start their podcasts and I know shareable, .fm is, is now a platform for people to put their, and I feel incredibly lucky to be one of the shows on there. Um, You're actually so the first, anyone show, does, first show onto shareable.fm, aside from uh, aside from my shows, of course. Uh, but if anyone is interested in podcast, you are a resource that is incredible. So I just Thank you, man. That. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And, and I should probably put that as full disclosure that uh, 
the connect the dots is on shareable.fm, which is my podcast network that I own. Um, so should have probably put that at the top of the show. Anywho, uh, I, and even if it wasn't, <laughs> I was a fan of your show for years before I came onto that. So, so there, there listeners don't call me out. Anywho. Um, so let's talk about, uh, there's so much to talk about with you because like you, you were just a, a cornucopia of interesting like experiences and stories and like a fun background, uh, as a career. So let's, let's talk about stories. Let's talk about, you know, why stories matter to you, why they resonate with you, why you do that as a career. Like, why does all that matter? When I first met you, you were at a brand agency, correct? Yep. So yeah, that in a lot of ways, brand story, major overlap mm-hmm. there. But once you left there, you really took a hard pivot to like story being at the center of the whole thing. So Talk to me a little bit about why you made that decision because storytelling is like a buzzy kind of word in, in our mm-hmm. industry to a certain extent, but I feel like you really honor what it means to tell good stories and you are extremely committed with the work that you're doing personally, but also in what the work that you do with your clients, you know, you seem to take it very seriously about what it means to, to actually put together a good story and not in that buzzy kind of way. So can you at least start by starting, explain what you mean by, storytelling and then let's kind of go from there yeah so i've i've been you know when i kind of sat back and reflected on my career and things that i had done and what had been of interest to me story seemed to be a thread that kind of went through all those things um and people you know often say oh you've such an interesting story and i feel like everyone has an interesting story if they figure out the best way to kind of extract it but for me, it it's comes down to connection. And so there's a reason that Nine Dots and Connect the Dots is, is um, thematically through my business and, and my life. And for me, I think the best way to connect with people is by telling a story. It's, and, and I came across, as I kind of went in and looked into a little more than the kind of surface level of what story is, um, really I found out about the science of story, about how our brains work and why it's so powerful and matters more than just giving people, you know, the features and benefits, which is kind of the things we do in marketing Um, and recognizing that when we create a narrative, it has an impact on people. And so as someone who wants to try and, and I'll have an impact from my end, but help others have an impact. It became the, you know, I look at my my kind of careers, I'm in communications. That's the big kind of, um, and while I focus on kind of visual storytelling in terms of a career, as a speaker uh, and with workshops that I do, it's about uncovering some of the things that people know and have forgotten in terms of the power of story. And then sharing some things that I've learned along the way in my kind of deep dive into you know, the history of story and, and, and things that have evolved and made people. Um, so my interest in story, and, 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 you know, the easy answer is I love movies, you know? So, um, that's where it all stems from is that I, I just loved movies, I think more than the average for sure. And I know you, you know, you're in there with me, but as a movie enthusiast, I thought about, well, why do I like this so much? And there's an element of the escapism, but there's an element of getting lost in a story, in those wonderful stories. And there's such a range of them. And I love all kinds of movies. Um, My parents used to joke that I would go see a movie, I'd come home and it would take me just as long to tell them about the movie than if they were to go see it themselves. And so uh, hopefully I've learned to kind of hone in a little bit more in terms of being um, a little more pointed when I share a story. 
but I also grew up with two amazing storytellers in my grandfather and my father. So my grandfather and father were judges for 85 plus years. And we used to have dinner pretty much every week, Sunday dinner or Sunday brunch. And my two father, my father and my grandfather would sit at opposite ends of the big dining room table and swap stories. And so I used to watch in kind of all, you know, both being judges and having this shared experience, but then sharing their stories, their kind of war stories uh, of different cases and just finding that that was how they connected. And so I think there was an element of seeing that connection, appreciating that connection and having it both with my dad and with my grandfather, you know, being that's, I spent a lot of time with my my paternal grandfather um, and just loved, you know, just loved being able to hear about his experiences. and so I think that it, there was a foundation for me. Um, and then I worked in the film industry and I worked, my first job was in the story department um, at a talent agency, which was really a, uh, a factory for reading really bad scripts and then writing the equivalent of book reports on them um, as a reader. And, but, but it's still, and so again, like people are like, oh yeah, story, story is great, but it's not as easy as people think to tell a good story. Um, and you look at, you know, just from the movie context, I mean, the percentage of scripts that actually get bought, let alone made, is tiny. Um, and there's lots of reasons for it. But a lot of the reasons is it's easy. I think it's relatively easy to write a story. I think it's incredibly difficult to write a really good story. Um, and so as I was going through business and working in marketing, I was thinking about the power of story and the structure of the story. And so I was looking at like in, in our personal lives, we tell stories all the time, but in, in business, sometimes we put on that business hat and we stop thinking about the power of story and we start looking at the numbers and the data. And so for me, the, this was kind of a way to recognize if you really want to communicate what your product, your service is, and you really want to be able to share it in a way that's going to resonate with people, story was one, was one of the best ways to do that. So that's a lot of influences that you just listed off there between film, your father, your grandfather, working in the movie industry. I want to ask you about one more uh, part of your career that I know about that um, a lot of people may not know about. And I'm curious how that may or may not have, in, I'd imagine has influenced you, but uh, you worked for a brief period of time with Seth Godin. So yeah, Seth was my first boss. So um when I graduated from college, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had applied for a bunch of film related jobs uh, and had my litany of rejection letters like many. Um, and so I ended up getting uh, I, a posting guy. I mean, this was just the infancy of um, the World Wide Web. So, um, but, you know, I basically got asked to interview. Um, I think I, I'm not 100% sure of the question. But I remember being interviewed for him and he asked me a very consultant question, like how many gas stations are there in the United States? Something like that, where he wanted to see me kind of break down and, you know, think about it. And, um, and I worked with him for about a year um, on, he, at that time, he was doing popular reference publishing. Uh, so I was working on People Magazine's um, Entertainment Almanac. I was actually doing research on... Um, when Tom Hanks was born and things, things like that. Um, and, you know, Seth is an, an incredible um, marketing genius. I mean, that, that's just, um, I, I always joke with people. 
yeah, he, he, and, and, you know, I would, in retrospect, at the time, I wasn't ready for him because I really wanted to, I needed to get my film, um, my film career, to, you know, satisfied. My dream of working in the film industry satisfied. And, and Did you go to school for um, film? No. So I was an English and sociology major. And um, my concentration that I tell people was work, creative writing and film studies at where I went to Amherst College, which was a liberal arts college, didn't really have a film program. I took all the film classes you could, uh, whether it was, you know, French new wave cinema and film noir and all these things that I uh, loved. I ended up writing an honors thesis on uh, masculinity in contemporary cinema and uh, focusing on three films. So I focused on Reservoir Dogs, um, A Few Good Men and Glengarry Glen Ross. Um, which were I got to send you there's a YouTube channel I watched that's uh, it's called pop culture detective and he talks about um, uh, masculinity feminism and like all sorts of other topics in pop culture and it's really 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 interesting Uh, and I feel like you would love it you'd really enjoy it Uh, you know I was a film major right I yes I know about your love of film and your interest in wanting I wish I could go back and take those classes now I feel like I would appreciate them so much more than I did back when I was like in my early twenties and all I really cared about was like chasing girls and drinking. <laughs> well, I, I won't comment on that, but um, as I now have <laughs> 16 year old, almost 16 year old daughters, your daughter's young enough. You don't have to worry about that just yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's an element of that. I wish I had been a more mature person when I was doing a lot of different things. And Seth Godin is a good example. If I had, if I had come to him 10 years later, um, I might have gotten some of the millions of dollars he got from when he sold to Yahoo. <laughs> um, but I think, again, it's, you know, when I look at the, the path that we all take, um, a lot of people talk about regret and talk about, you know, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I, I kind of am a um, destiny kind of person. I think things happen for a reason. And, and if, you know, one, one little thing didn't happen, then I want to met this person and I want to met my wife and then I'm going to have a kid. So you can look at all those dots along the way that if one had just missed, um, you wouldn't be the person you are. And thankfully I feel lucky and really uh, blessed to, with the life I have. Uh, I think I'm finally, as I'm nearing 50 next year, um, Getting to the point where I, I appreciate things like so all those kinds of things that, you know, when I take a class, or I learn something new, I actually have the experience and the perspective to actually get the most out of those new things that I learn. Um, not 100 percent, but more so than when I was a 20 year old. I think about this all the time and you have daughters. So like, I'm sure, and a son. So like, you know, I'm sure you think about this, too. But me being a new father, like I think to myself, like, how do I how do I craft a story so that my daughter sees the importance of reading like from the beginning and, you know, all all of like, you know, every, I think every parent thinks to themselves, like, you know, what my parents didn't do for me, I want to do for my kids sort of thing. But like, I didn't really seriously start reading until like my thirties. And now I read, like I'm a voracious reader and I attribute a lot of my ability to talk on a variety of different subjects and, and like to be able to to help people in a variety of different ways to my love of reading and ability to like retain information and utilize it and synthesize it. But I didn't start that until my, my thirties. Like had I started that in like my teens, I think to my, and again, like I want to regret, but like I am trying to think about, okay, now that that is what it is, how do I craft a story that resonates with her? So she sees that it makes sense for her because, you know, you think back to your own time when you were young, you probably didn't give a crap what your parents thought about 
whatever. And unfortunately, I think that is just the setup. You yeah. know, that we as parents <laughs> just keep repeating wanna want to impart the wisdom we've learned uh, so that our children can benefit from our experience. Yep. And our children are like, eh, no, I want to do it my way. I'll learn. And so I think there's, you know, ways to influence them. Um, you know, I think one of the things is in terms of reading, my wife and I, Nita and I read a lot um, and re- read to them a lot and have since they were really young. So books have been around in terms of, you know, and trying to read books of, you know, of all different kinds and all different levels and poetry and all kinds of things. So I think, you know, one of the things I think about with children is like, because I, I totally want them to find something they love to be able to do. And I think at the moment, at least with uh, my daughters, the world is their oyster and it makes it hard to try and focus on well, what is it that you really want to do with your life. Um, and I don't need, think they need to know that at 16, um, but they wonder about it. And so I'm like, well, you know, just try lots of different things and see what makes you happy and, um, and things that you, you like. Um, but it's, it's doesn't get easier, I'm afraid. And, and as much as you may have the, the master plan for your children, um, I think you got to just be open with them, talk with them as much as you can and recognize, I mean, I have teenagers now um, and I feel pretty lucky. They're really good kids and we still talk. So, um, but it, it's, it's, it's work and it, it, it requires commitment. Uh, I, I think, you know, there's, there's elements of growing up that when you're a teen or in early twenties, I always, I always talk about this, that you can't get everything you want, but what I would say to Nita and this, you may or may not, you may not appreciate this now, but I think eventually you will, which is whenever our children do something silly or stupid and we're like, what do you do? I always say to Nita, I say, listen, they have brain damage. And it goes back to, I think, an old comedian used to say this, but the part of the brain that's has impulse control is not, our brains aren't fully developed till we're 25. Yeah. So in theory, when I say they have brain damage, I'm really saying they have underdeveloped brains. Mm-hmm. They aren't fully formed and therefore their capacity to appreciate and control those impulses and all those other things is just, it's biology, you know, it's <laughs> so um, it's, it's an ongoing process. So let me ask and, you this, uh, as, a, no, as an extension hard. of that whole thing, would you say it's more difficult to communicate with clients and communicate in the business world and to be able to make progress in that, or as a parent with teenagers? Because I would imagine with the underdeveloped brain uh, of people under 25, there is at least a little bit of like a, well, it's kind of the, whereas when you're dealing with adults and you're trying to get them to see the, you know, the benefits of say, uh, you know, a, a particular approach. Let's say you're trying to pitch a client on, you know, you should use visual communication to solve this particular problem instead of a spreadsheet. And they're like, no, resistant. Like, is that more frustrating than trying to get your kids to X, Y, and Z, whatever in their state? Well, I'm going to share with you a, 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 a working theory um, that I think you'll appreciate, which is the difference between trying to educate someone or trying to convince someone. So I, I have recognized that if someone's completely against doing visual communication, trying to convince someone is going to be hard. And so they may, they're not the right fit for me. Whereas if someone's open to it, that's be, you know, but they're not sure they don't really understand it. Then I can educate them about the power and all these things. So I think we struggle in business. We struggle too much to try and convince people 
of what they should do. Um, and I think that's a, a losing battle most more often than not. In terms of connecting with clients versus connecting with my daughters, um, the context is very different where I'm emotionally engaged. Obviously. So that um, if I if I falter in my ability, in my attempts to communicate with a client, I can move on to the next person. If that happens with my daughters, yes, I do have twin daughters. I can go from one to the other, but, um, or to my son, you know, my son, you know, who's, who's, you know, he's 12. So he's a little more uh, malleable in terms of my influence. Um, yeah. I think again, you know, I, I'm a big believer in meeting people where they are. And so that if they don't, you know, I kind of, I say, I lay my cards on the table and say, here's what I got. You want to play a game? And if they're like, no, then I'm like, okay, well, here, go, go try and, you know, here's my parting, you know, helpful tip and thanks for playing. Um, I think it's too hard to try and convince people who are resistant um, because they, sometimes I find when you try and convince someone, they dig their heels in more. And it's because that, that's kind of human nature um, for that kind of person. And so if I find myself in conversation with someone who's already being contrary and already cut, I just, you know, they're not for me. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. So let me, I want to segue incredibly gracefully from us talking as parents about things back to story, but in a way that's incredibly relevant, which is that the world that your kids are growing up in vastly different from the world you grew up in the world that my daughter's going to grow up in probably vastly different from all of that. And we're seeing a lot of different influences on them that even even I didn't have to grow up with um, in terms of technology, in terms of social norms changing, in terms of all different sorts of things. And I think especially with the um, the, the emergence of rapidly changing technology, and, and it's said that I think your, your, your kids are in Gen Z, and I've heard someone say that they're the first generation that's grown up in a world that's always becoming. It's not a world that is set. It is a world that is constantly changing and evolving. And it is a process of just constantly trying to kind of keep up with it, right? Like they, they grew up with technology that, that iterates every year and a half, there's a new version, right? So it's a totally different world for them. We're seeing uh, the impact of people being socially awkward with one another because of the impact of technology at the same time, being able to carry on multitudes, more relationships. There's all these different changes is the point. It's a big, crazy changing world out there. How would you say then that the work that you do in story had you done it 20 years ago or had, you know, you look back to doing it at the beginning of your career versus to where it's going, do you see the importance of storytelling as a skill, as a, uh, as a, as a business, uh, uh, I guess, a business skill that's, that's important? Do you see that growing in importance or diminishing importance as the world continues to move in the directions that it's moving? Uh, more important, I'll share why in one second. Um, I, I was just sharing a story with you about, so I heard the story from a parent who had two, I think, 15-year-old sons, and they were going down the shore from Philadelphia. So they had about a two-hour drive. And the two boys were in the back on their phones the whole time. And when they got to the destination, the mom said to her son, you know, that was kind of rude. You were like, I'm on your phone the whole time. And, you know, you know, Johnny's with you. Why didn't, why, why didn't you talk to and, and the son's like, I was talking to Johnny the whole ride. <laughs> like, you know, they were texting back and forth. Like they were engaging in the way that that generation. And so she goes, well, why would you just 
talk to him and she's like because then you would hear what we were saying Amazing. so there's of, uh, of like you know and so technology and both has you know power for good and power for evil in the way that i look at it and so you know there, there are all these stories of how the you know silicon valley set didn't let their kids have all the tools that they were creating until they're much older um and i i as someone who loves technology um and also sees that it is something, if you don't keep up with it, you fall behind. I have this kind of dual challenge where I want my kids to have technology and know how to use technology and, and really thrive with technology. And on the flip side, seeing all the horrible um, potential of what technology does to kids, more you know, mental, mental um, health issues and, and addiction types. And it's, and it's as real as you know, my son on his Xbox, if I ask him to come away, it's like I'm taking away a drug, without a doubt. And um, and so the answer for me, just from the parent side, and then I'll get to the business side, uh, is, is balance. What we've thought about is, okay, as long as they're interacting in some of the other ways, non-digital ways, so that we spend time outside, that we spend time sitting and talking without any devices on and doing, you know, we have dinner every night, no devices. And so... Um, it gets harder and harder because it's, we are connected uh, and not necessarily in the way that I think people should be connected. Um, we are jacked in, you know, and it's, it's going to be a challenge. So the reason why I think story is so important now more than ever, and increasingly so, I talk about the two, the two pandemics other than the one we've been dealing with, which is infobesity and short attention spans. And there's more information than ever. I forget, you know, the quintillion, you know, megabits of data every second is being generated and more information is created. Uh, I think 90% of information that's the data that's been created has been created in the last two years than ever before. And it just keeps going. And, and uh, so as a business, we have the challenge that people have, you know, we used to, I think it used to be, oh, you want to cut through the noise. Well, now the noise is turned up to, you know, not 11, but, you know, 111 um, with how much information we have. And so in order to cut through that, we really, I think, need to craft stories that are going to connect with people. And so it becomes increasingly important to, A, recognize what matters to your audience. So I always, you know, story starts when people say, where do I start my story? I say, you start your story with your audience. Who's, who are you telling your story to? Because if you don't know your audience... And which is a common thing in marketing to figure out who, well, who's your, who's your audience telling that story matters much. Cause if you don't share stories that have elements that can are be important to them, then you're wasting your time. Um, so I think again, in order to connect with those people in a meaningful way to you, and the best way to communicate is by telling that story. And because there's so much competing for one's attention, you need to be really, it's a skill that you're going to, whether you have it or you engage someone who does have it, the ability to craft and tell stories that are going to connect with your audience will become increasingly important. And I think it's become so now. What do you think are the, so when I hear story, obviously like film background also studied, you know, a lot about, you know, writing structure. I went to school cause I wanted to write scripts and I wanted to write plays. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, the three act structure and toying and tinkering with that and the hero's journey and all that stuff that I think of all of those things. Right. So when I think about telling better stories uh, and I hear you say telling stories that resonate and it's a, a world of noise, I, there's a, a, 
I start to wonder about what that could sound like to someone listening, right? Like, does that sound like, um, you know, start with your audience, tell a story that resonates with them so you can cut through the noise, but it doesn't really matter if you believe the story, right? Like it could sound like that, like, you know, like the, the, you're, you're like, like you're telling, uh, a story that's not necessarily true. It could sound like right. that. You're it could also people, sound like what people want to hear. Yeah. So know? it could sound like that. It could also sound like, um, you know, we have, we, we want to tell a story that resonates. We're true to our word, the whole thing. So let's focus on the narrative three act structure, or let's focus on, mm -hmm. uh, the, like what it means to create conflict in a story and when should that happen? And all the sort of the, the more technical aspects of story. So when you think about teaching people how to go about telling better stories, I like the advice of starting with the audience. I think that's obviously a great piece of advice, but what comes after that and how do you encourage people to tell these stories in a way that's not only effective, but that is, um, I want to say ethical or moral, I don't want to go quite that heavy, but like, how do you do it right. effectively, do it well, do it honestly so that it's sustainable. I guess that's kind of the point of it is like, it's not mm -hmm. sustainable if you tell the story and it's a big old bogus lie. It is sustainable if you tell a really great story that helps you to, to actually communicate what it is you do and cut through the noise. So after audience, how do you help people to tell a great story? Well, let me back up one second because I, I want to talk about structure, but being authentic is more important every day because there's such access to instead of the old paradigm where it was a broadcast kind of marketplace where we would just have our messages. Now it, it, there's a dialogue and not just the interconnectedness of things in terms of if you aren't truthful or if you're not genuine, it's too easy for people to call you out, you know, whether it's reviews online or whatever it may be, social media. Um, so I think in some ways I'm like, well, that's kind of, you know, as a, as a person who believes in integrity, I, I sometimes take that for granted that of course you're going to tell a story that's, that's, you know, truthful. Uh, I'm the son and grandson of judges. I mean, come on now. Um, but yes, I think again, and you know, there's a difference between, um, radical honesty, which I, is, a, is a whole concept of things. And, you know, we're in marketing. So I'm not saying you can't color your story in a way that's going to be appealing, but there's a line. And I think everyone knows where that line is and, and you don't cross it. And, and, and that's, um, and one of the things I find interesting about social media is that people are finally cottoning on to the fact that like, you know, those Instagram lives are fabrications. They just show the wonderful, beautiful world of a, and that's not reality. And from a business perspective, what people have been seeing is that people don't want to see just the perfect life. They want to see the real life. And I think those behind the scenes and the problems that people have and all those things have become much more um, impactful when people are telling their business stories, not just how great everything is, but actually telling the story of the struggles. In terms of telling the story to connect with an audience, I believe very strongly in the three-act structure um, to the point where we created the story pad, which is ABCs of how to tell a story, but it's, you know, um, PAD. So PAD being the beginning, middle, and end. And the P is the problem or the pain of your audience. So we start with the audience and we start our structure with the audience. So when you start a story, you're starting with what is going to capture their attention. So you're talking about them and what it is. And I, I've used this example maybe it's my law background um, of like personal injury attorneys and they have a pretty good job of capturing people's attention if you're the right audience. So you go on and see a billboard, see an ad, whatever it may be. Have you been injured in an accident? 
There's the problem. If you have been, you're going to, you know, that's going to, damn it, I just got in a car accident. I just hurt my leg, you know. So finding a way to immediately capture people's problem is, is to me, the way you tell a business story is by starting with what matters to them. And so it's, again, knowing the audience of what matters and then starting specifically in the beginning of your story with what their problem is. What's the pain you're solving for? Start there. And then the middle is, okay, well, here's how we can help it. So our product or service will help ease that pain. And then the D is something that I think a lot of people forget. So you have the problem and what I call the answer, the P and the A. Um, and so people just stop there. But for me, the D is really important. And the D stands for the difference it makes in the person's life or business. So the impact. So that it's not just, a, we, you have a problem, we have a solution, but then you, sh you, you, the narrative goes further to say, and this is what your life will be like after you've had the experience of our, you know, wonderful product or service. So it's a simple. I also believe in keeping things really simple and not complicating them. Um, I think in terms of conflict, you're starting the conflict is immediate because you're starting with the pain point of your audience. So that's my simple way of. of I dig it. I dig it. Well, the the uh, kind of final thing I would uh, want to close out on on the whole story conversation is earlier you had mentioned something that really caught my attention um, specifically in, in um, when we were talking about the difference between convincing people and educating them. Mm -hmm. And um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you go about, you know, or, or even let me say it differently for people listening, they're thinking about creating story content for their own businesses. They want to figure out a way to use story content to, generate more leads, to build more awareness, to position themselves in the market, um, sell more products, sell more services, whatever it might be. Are they trying to convince? Are they trying to educate? Where's the line? How do you encourage people to think about that so that they can use stories more effectively to get what it is that they want? So I think, again, it, it is a blurryish line that you have to try and you know get through. Uh, I think I would say you're educating people, but you're educating them in a, in a specific way. So when you start with someone's problem, you're talking to people who have a problem that you can solve. And therefore you're educating them about your product or service that can help them. And I think, again, we have to always orient ourselves in how we're serving our audience. You know, that's business is about, you know, what's in it for them. If you don't you know. And so in terms of convincing, again, I think it's about the audience so that if, I'm trying to sell you a SaaS product and you don't believe in having things in the cloud. You're not my audience. So I don't need to worry about you. I don't need to worry about convincing you. I need to be talking to the people that are already primed in some fashion for what it is I'm trying to sell. And the idea of trying to sell to everyone, who's your, who, who's your customer? I love, you know, everybody's my customer. Well, that's really difficult to market to everybody. Um, and so niching it down and getting much clearer is how you is essential in terms of the marketing. And if you don't start to have a real clear idea of who that you know customer avatar is or, or the kinds of people, um, you're gonna you're gonna suffer because one targeting. I mean, the wonderful part about social um, media and, and digital marketing is you you now have tools to really target the right kinds of people. Um, that data and information, if you use it well, you should be getting to people who resonate. Uh, someone I heard a, a long time ago, they did a study about social media ads. And, and they said, if you know your audience 
and you have a good message, then it should work. So that if, it, if you are using advertising and it's not working, one of two things is broken. Either your message, creative, whatever you call it, isn't compelling, or your audience is wrong. Because if you have compelling content and the right audience, then it should it should work. And yeah. so it's a matter, and that's, I think, with, you know, people are like, well, why isn't it working? I mean, there's an element of, of trial and error and figuring out and, and optimizing both those things to, to get to the point where you really find that sweet spot of, okay, this is the right message for this audience. Let's go. Yeah, and some percentage of them should uh, convert at some right. point. And, and I, I think what I heard uh, in, in the discussion there about like convincing versus education is that really if somebody is at the point where they're, they need convincing, their heels are kind of dug in. So what you almost have to do is actually just pivot at all times to the education side of things, where if you can get to that person who needs to be convinced early enough and start to trickle in some education about why, you know, use the SaaS product example, you know, you, you put things in front of people where you're not asking them to do anything and ask them to buy. You're just saying, hey, like, here's some of the benefits of moving in the cloud. Here's some of the things that people typically are worried about. Here are some of the things that, and you educate and educate and educate. You, you start to reduce the number of people that you have to convince because you spent enough time educating them at the top, which I really appreciate. And I think that that's a really good way of going about it. And uh, I, I think that that's a key distinction that I got out of this uh, episode is how often people are trying to convince they're at that they're at the finish line and they realize that they're dealing with someone that they have to convince when instead the whole time they could have just been spending their time on education. And um, I think it's one of the reasons in my own career where, I, where I've had a lot of success in my sales careers that like, I generally don't feel the need to convince anyone. I'm just going to tell them everything that I know. And then it's up to them if they want to choose to do what I'm recommending or not. So uh, I really appreciate that distinction. Yeah. And again, uh, one of the things I would just add to that is that the education piece is giving them something rather than asking for something. I think when you're convincing someone, you're like trying to convince them to, to do something, you know, and it's the difference between, I think, coming across as salesy versus genuinely trying to help someone with this value. The education piece is, hey, here's something I've learned that I think would be useful, you know, and so that part of the education is giving back to them before you ask for anything. Yeah. And just a shout out to you. I want to appreciate you on that and, and give you this chance to promote yourself because I think you do such a good job at, um, you know, all of the content that you put out there is so genuinely attempting to be helpful and give information. You do so much on LinkedIn. I'm like baffled by how you put out so much on LinkedIn. Um, and you have a really great TED talk out there. So I want to give you this chance in the show just to, uh, in the wrapping up to let people know where they can go and learn more about you, be social with you, you know, follow along with all that you're doing, consume all of your really great content. Uh, now's the you know time in the show that's all yours. Uh, thanks, Jeff. So yeah, if you want to see my TED Talk, I actually created the vanity URL. So if you go to Jeffrey spelled with a G, jeffreyspeaks.com, that takes you right to the YouTube of my TED Talk. Uh, best way to connect with me in terms of if you're looking to create visual content, that is what we do. We create you know uh, videos and animation in particular is ninedotsmedia.com. Uh, and then as a speaker, it's ggkline.com where I talk about the power of story and the power of visual content. Uh, and then my podcast uh, is on shareable.fm. Uh, so you should definitely go there to uh, find the season of champions. Awesome. And I then put the, every the, bit the, of that in the show it, notes. Yeah. If you go to either of those websites, either nine dots media or ggkline, all the social is there. 
Um, and it's pretty easy to connect with me. Awesome. I will put every single bit of it in the show notes. So if you are listening and you want to go and connect with Jeffrey and find out all of his different stuff and follow him and all that sort of good stuff, it's right there in the show notes. You should be able to just click. Uh, Jeffrey, it is always a pleasure to chat with you, whether we're doing it recorded or not. Um, it's always good to see your face as well and your beautiful purple background. Um, this the show was awesome. I I really I really seriously do appreciate the distinctions that were made in this episode for me. So I hope people got a lot of, uh, got a lot out of it and uh, that they choose to share it with people. Which, if I had to say one word to describe that sentiment that I just described there about sharing it with people, I guess I would say it's shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing. You see, Shareable is just one of many projects that I'm working on at any given time. I've got another podcast called Rogue. I do a live streaming show every week called The Heroic Council. I've got a blog where I release a blog post twice a week. And if you're looking to keep up with all sorts of different content that can help you grow and become a superhero in life, I want you to check out jeffgibber.me. That's where I list all of my current projects and projects that are coming up in the future, including my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader. It would mean a lot to me if you could go and check out some of the other things I've worked on because I put just as much of my heart into those projects as I do into Shareable. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a supporter. And I hope to see you here on the next episode of Shareable.